It's no use, Kevin. Turn it off. this evening, isn't it? I just had some hot toddies made. You certainly look like you could use one. You will have to pardon the mess. We've been trying to upgrade our ethero-interocitor. That's how we managed to capture the Christmas broadcast from New Babbage every year. Before we could locate the frequency, which is Never in the same place, I might add. The machine started to overheat and we had to shut it down before it quite literally blew a tube. Unfortunate, I know. I do hope that they are all right. Anyway, here we are in Christmas tide. The time in which we close the books on the year where we can finally rest from all the holiday frenzy. Lest you think I have no holiday spirit at all, there is one Yuletide tradition I heartily endorse, and that is the telling of a good ghost story. Our exhibit for this evening is provided by Mr. Gary Buller, an author from Manchester, England, where he lives with his partner and daughters. He grew up in the Peak District, where the hauntingly beautiful landscapes inspired him to write. Mr. Buller is a huge fan of all things macabre, loves a tale with a twist, and is a member of the Horror Writers' Association. Now, it is a dark and stormy night. Let us settle in by the fire, and we shall begin. A Light in the Darkness by Gary Buller Read by Michael Whitehouse I'd all but lost hope when I saw a light in the darkness. I raised my lantern, shielding my eyes against the downpour and squinted in an effort to see the source of the flickering orange flame. A granite building nestled within the moorland hills, all but camouflaged by the elements. Its roof was grey slate, upon which moss clung like barnacles to the bow of a ship, and the walls appeared ghostly blue. I unrolled the map and attempted to pinpoint my location, 
turning full circle and taking in the contours of land. It was useless. I cursed my so-called friend, Hubert Cockforster, for cancelling our hiking trip and my own damned stubbornness for embarking regardless. A cruel wind howled, whipping the wet grass against my knees and soaking my trousers. My fingers were prune-like and numb. I was hungry and in dire need of shelter. Pocketing the map and keeping my head low, I strode toward the light. Upon closer inspection, the building appeared to be a repurposed farmhouse. A dry stone wall surrounded it, and there was a coach house adjacent. The gates rusted on their hinges and were overgrown with weeds. A sign squeaked as it swung in the wind, suspended by chains from a wooden post. When I shone my lantern upon it, the words painted in white were barely visible. The Snake Inn A brass lamp hung above the entrance and illuminated the yard, the resulting shadows dancing and weaving about my feet. It was then I felt unseen eyes upon me. Looking to one of the windows, I saw movement as a shape slid from view. Goose flesh puckered along my arms. Don't be silly, I told myself. It's nothing but a draft agitating the curtain. It was cold, dark, and I needed rest. Raising my hand, I wrapped my knuckles on the hardwood door. Presently, an old man answered, holding a candle high. A gown overhung his pyjamas, and strands of silver hair protruded from a tasseled nightcap. He looked me up and down, as if surprised by my intrusion, and his blue eyes glistened like sapphires. Can I help you, sir? he said. Sorry if I woke you and your good lady at such a late hour, I replied. I'm in need of supper and lodgings for the night. Are you open for business? Alas, I have no wife and my sister is no longer with us. You are welcome to a room, though. Take your pick. He stood to the side and gestured for me to enter. The interior was blessedly warm. A passage led to a large tap room with a roaring fire. The walls were whitewashed and decorated with brass ornaments and faded oil paintings. The old man took his place behind the bar. He blew the dust from the cover of a weighty leather volume and pushed it in my direction. I opened to the bookmark. The pages were yellow with age and blackened along one edge. The previous guest, a Mr. T. Smythe from Royton, had stayed at the inn for three nights, but I was surprised to see the date was five years prior. A little perplexed, but not wishing to be impolite, I filled out my details, signed my name, and returned the volume without comment. That'll be ten pennies, sir, the landlord said. That includes food, ale, and the room. I handed him the coins from my purse, removed my rucksack, and took a seat by the fire. There were six tables set about the tap room, all 
empty. Above the mantelpiece, an impressive buck surveyed us, the gaps between his antlers bridged by spider webs. His fur was sooty and singed. I held my hands out to the flames, allowing the warmth to breathe life into my torpid fingers and marvelling at the steam rising from my garments. Soon enough, the old man brought two flagons of ale, two bowls and a crust of bread on a tray. Would you mind some company? he asked. It's been a while. Not at all, I said. He set the tray on an upturned barrel and invited me to take a drink. The ale was rich and brown with a full body. It tasted both sweet and smoky. A simmering pot hung above the fire and the old man filled our bowls with a ladle. How long have you been landlord here? I asked. Uh, Twenty years, said he, handing me a bowl. I took a mouthful. It was delicious. Lydia and I did a brisk trade with the cotton merchants. It seems only yesterday this very room was hazy with pipe smoke and filled with laughter and music. His expression dimmed. Then the new road was built. It took a heavy toll. Lydia spent most of the time in her quarters, occasionally ringing for food or water, but she barely touched her plate. The solitude was enough to drive a man mad. I paused mid-chew and looked to the rafters. A strange sound, like a medicine ball rolling across bare boards, travelled from north to south across the space above us. The old man fixed his eyes on me. Pay no mind, he said. This place is older than the hills, <laughs> like my good self. It is full of sighs and groans. Of course, I smiled, attempting to thaw his icy expression. Thud. Another sound, heavy and padded, descended from the same room. A breath caught in my throat and, despite the warmth, I shivered. The old man maintained eye contact with me, but distaste twisted his lips into a sneer. Sighs and groans, he repeated. The rest of the meal was a little awkward but uneventful. We spoke in trivialities, gazing into the flames. The old man offered me a second ale, but I declined, explaining it had been a long and stressful day. He poured himself another and downed it in one before leading me from the room. We climbed a flight of stairs and I couldn't help but note their peculiar construction. Half the gradual incline consisted of angular wooden steps, the other half a smooth, slope-like surface. When I asked my host about them, he said, My sister, and offered nothing more. On the landing, the rain redoubled its efforts, tapping relentlessly on the window panes. The first floor hallway was a long and claustrophobic space. Light from my host's candle 
spilled over dark wall panels and across a threadbare burgundy carpet. The air was saturated by a strangely bitter odour, as out of place as it was familiar. Can you smell burning? The old man stopped in his tracks and fixed me with a look. His face was a mass of wrinkles, a vegetable left too long in the sun. No, sir. Perhaps it's tobacco. I partake occasionally, as did Lydia, until the black lung took her. No, not tobacco. I can't put my finger on it. The old man shrugged. He stopped by one of the doors and opened it, offering me a side glance which suggested he doubted my senses. I started to feel a little foolish. Did I really smell smoke? Perhaps it was tobacco after all. I needed a good night's sleep. Then my host did a very strange thing. He looked up and down the passageway before stepping close enough to smell the ale on his breath. The inn is very old and the floors aren't what they used to be, he whispered. Please stay in your room while it's dark. It's dangerous. There's a chamber pot under the bed and a bell on the side table, should you need me. I lit my lantern, thanked the old man and watched as he shuffled off into the shadows. Inside, the guest room was modest but tidy with a single bed, a wardrobe, two chairs, a side table and, of course, a chamber pot. As promised, a bell resided on the side table its handle tied with a ribbon. A bay window offered a wonderful view of the hills, and as I admired the scenery, a fork of lightning licked the clouds. The air was somewhat colder than the tap room. I lit a fire in the hearth, pulled a chair close and draped my still damp clothes over it, stripping down to my underwear. Retrieving the map from my rucksack, I climbed under the sheets and examined the lay of the land as the winds rattled the panes. I traced a finger along the hills and forests to a place called Gaster. The George and Dragon was listed there, as was the Hare and Hounds Inn in the neighbouring hamlet of Midhope. I was almost certain of my approximate location, but the Snake Inn was not recorded anywhere in the vicinity. Surely such an old building should be present on a map of not more than a year old. A sound rose, barely audible above the storm. I froze, cocked my head and strained my ears. For a long moment, nothing. Then I heard it again. The tinkle of a bell. I put the map aside, climbed out of bed and placed an ear to the door. Somewhere out in the passageway or one of the guest rooms, a bell rang once and then twice more, so low as to be almost inaudible. Was it my host's sister? Another guest? It would explain so much, but my gut instincts told me I was very much alone in this place. Perhaps the old man was lonely or eccentric, I thought, 
Perhaps he was amusing himself at my expense by creating mischief in the dark. It didn't make an ounce of sense though. The old man had made his exit in one direction and the call of the bell came from another. With blood whooshing in my ears like a damned whirlpool, I took my lantern and thrust it out into the hallway, recalling the old man's warning not to leave my quarters. I held the light high, pointing it this way and that, chasing shadows into corners, but saw nothing. Just then, lightning flickered. A silhouette stood by the window at the far end of the hallway, black against white, an elongated shadow tattooed upon the carpet. It was there for but a second before darkness encroached once more. Thunder rolled across the hills and the building trembled. I aimed my lantern in that direction, took a step out of the room and peered into the darkness. Hello? I called. Landlord? No reply came. Barefoot and in my long johns, I carefully crept along the floorboards. The smell of blackened and burned wood grew with each step and I shielded my nose with the back of my hand. The far end of the corridor was unoccupied, but I saw no door or any other means of exit. I was relieved and confused in equal measure. Here, a window overlooked the rear of the property. There was a stable choked by ivy and with its door hanging from one bleeding hinge. The yard before it was cracked and full of weeds, sprigs of deer grass protruding from the gravel. Rain overspilled the guttering and heavy waterfalls and deep puddles formed at the foot of the building. A floorboard creaked at my back. I spun on my heels to see a light at the opposite end of the corridor, no bigger or brighter than a match. It bobbed from left to right, rising and falling with an unseen gait. It vanished into one of the rooms and was followed by another sound, the plaintive sobbing of a woman. Ice water traced a line down my spine, but I felt compelled and duty-bound to investigate. Perchance the old man was more eccentric or insidious than I thought. Guided by the sobs, I retraced my steps, past the stairway, my guest room, and to the opposite end of the passage. There I found one of the doors ajar, and it was from the darkness within the sounds came. I took a few deep breaths of acrid air and pushed the door allowing it to swing inwards. This guest room was much like my own, except the hearth was unlit and wispy clouds of breath spilled between my lips. A woman sat in a wheelchair facing the window. She wore a silken dress, which might have been black or grey, and rested her head in her hands. Her shoulders shook with grief. Hello, I ventured. Apologies for intruding, but is all well? 
She didn't seem to hear, or was too deep in her melancholy to acknowledge my presence. I stepped inside and rested my lantern on the side table. My lady? I approached, extending a hand. My fingers plunged into a pool of air so frigid it burned. The woman raised her head and turned to look at me. At that moment, I swear my heart stopped. Her face was a mass of purple-black flesh punctuated by flecks of white. Her nose was gone and in its place two little holes laboured to draw air. Lips receded from her gums, exposing broken teeth in a permanent grimace. Only her eyes were unharmed, glinting like blue marbles in her charred sockets. Help me, she hissed. Please help me. A claw extended and I withdrew, appalled by the thought of her touch. Her limbs were contorted where muscles had stiffened to piano wire tightness and she stood and moved with the rigidity of a porcelain doll. I groaned, covering my mouth before a scream escaped. She smelled like overcooked bacon. No one should bear such injuries and live, I thought. It was impossible. I withdrew from the room, away from my pursuer and backed into something which was not there before. I turned to find the old man blocking my way. His appearance was vastly different to our previous discourse. Flaps of skin oozed from his face like molten wax, overhanging his nose and chin in thick globules. His mouth was all but melded shut and he produced a terrifying, keening whine from the holes which remain. His hands, both a mash of cremated flesh and exposed knuckles, pressed upon my shoulders, forcing me down and onto the floor. His eyes were lidless and impossibly wide. How dare you, they said. How dare you leave your room. Now I knew why. They both converged on me. I opened my mouth, tried to draw breath, but found only thick, choking smoke. They reached down with misshapen hands and pinned me to the carpet, the cold miasma radiating from their bodies, burning my skin and scorching my vision white. I tried to scream, tried to shout for help, but my lungs were tight and heavy. I floundered within their grip like a grounded fish. Their disfigured masks loomed large, filling my vision, suffocating my world as flames licked around them like halos. Then mercifully, my world faded to grey. Something rough and dry passed over my cheek, rousing me from unconsciousness. What's that, Scout? A voice asked. What have you found there? The head of a man appeared above the long grass, concern etched on his face. He wore a deerstalker and sported a bushy moustache that quivered like a small animal as he spoke. My goodness, sir. Are you okay? 
He ambled over, threw the uneven heather and knelt at my side. Scout, a blonde Labrador, paused in his exploration to watch with interest. Lifting me into a sitting position, the man produced a hip flask from his inside jacket pocket and tilted the neck to my lips. The brandy spilled down my throat and blossomed in my stomach with a not unpleasant heat. What happened? he asked. And why in blazes are you in your underwear in this godforsaken place? Good job Scout here had his senses about him. I wore naught but my long johns and we sat within the footings of a derelict building. The remnants of a dry stone wall crumbled around us and beyond the uneven moorland hills reached to a grey sky. Where are we? I asked, struggling to raise my voice above a hoarse whisper. Oh, what is this place? Vague but disturbing images swam about my head, images which later clarified into horrific focus. Snake Pass, if you must know, the gentleman said. We're about ten miles away from Ashopton. If you want a more precise answer, we're amongst the ruins of the old Snake Inn. I looked to him with disbelief and my already frigid body shook vigorously. I used to stop here for the odd tipple, he continued, until it burned down to the ground back in 08. Rumours suggest the landlord started a fire in the upstairs hallway, retired to his quarters and waited to die. Business went south, you see, after the main road was built. Oh wait, I murmured. Five years ago. The fire lit up the hills for miles around. Some say they heard his sister screaming. She was an invalid and couldn't escape. Poor soul. Scout trotted happily amongst the crumbling stone and the blackened wood, sniffing in the nooks and crannies. The man pocketed the hip flask and lifted me to my feet draping my arm around his neck. Let's get you home then, he said. I couldn't help but steal a final look at the space where an inn once stood. Amongst the mounds of rubble and charred beams, I spotted a rotten stable door reclaimed by the ivy. Next to it, something protruded from the heather. Blackened leather handles and a varnished wooden backrest. We better get a move on, old boy, the man said as the first drops of rain kissed my shoulders. It would seem a storm is brewing. Our narrator for this evening, Mr. Michael Whitehouse, is a writer, filmmaker, and voiceover artist from Glasgow. He spends most of his time writing supernatural fiction, though occasionally dabbles in other genres when the story leads him there. You may hear his work on the Ghastly Tales horror fiction podcast and YouTube channel. And this brings us to the end of our third year here at the gallery. I would be remiss not to give a special thanks to all of our authors and narrators. 
and also to our editors, voice actors, and first readers for this year. Andrew McCurdy, Chris Law, Jed Dagger, Stedman Condor, and Kevin. He's still trying to fix that interocitor. Let's just leave him to that. You should be on your way now too, as I'm certain that you have many, many parties to attend. Do come visit us next time at the Gallery of Curiosities.